Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, welcome to another Talking Spartans After Dark. Uh, On a busy day at Michigan State, uh, this is Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press here with Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal. And uh, Graham, we both got done pulling a doubleheader. Um, the, fo- the rare football basketball doubleheader that only happens apparently every 20 years or so. Um, and it's a good thing because it was a busy day and then a lot of big things happen. Michigan State football upsets Northwestern, uh, knocks them from the rank of the unbeatens 29 to 20 in a game that was closer than, than it looked from that final score. And then hustling over to Breslin Center, Michigan State basketball, with an 80 to 70 win over Notre Dame in a game that was nowhere near as close as that score probably ended up. Um, and, you know, this is, we're doing the post game for both kind of wrapping it in and also looking ahead to Duke for, for uh, anybody who's stuck looking at us or listening to us on the podcast form. Uh, we're, we're, we're also pulling a doubleheader in a lot of ways like that. Um, Triple header really, because this is where we're at right now at, at, after midnight, uh, into creeping into Sunday morning, Graham, and um, you you mentioned it before we jumped on. Uh, people are buzzing about both of these games because you saw a lot of different things, maybe that that you didn't expect out of either of these teams. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the basketball team was favored to win by nine and a half, ten points, and won by ten points. But that doesn't tell the story of what we saw. The football team was not expected to win. They were a double digit underdog. They had not looked good in recent weeks, although the defense had played better against Indiana. But it, to, to me, it was the line of scrimmage, right? I mean, that, that is where it was just so different than what we've seen from football. And I think that is a massive development. Like, this was not bigger than the Michigan win in the sense that, I mean, it, it's just not. I mean, that, that was a huge win for the psyche of the program, for the fan base, for all that stuff. But in terms of development, this was, for the offensive line, the push up front, the best push against a good Big Ten team since 2015. I mean, you, you can go back through all the games. I mean, you and I have been at them all. These 2017, they they pushed around smoke a couple of What's that? A lot of smoke and mirrors with that. Offense. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. It was not like this. This was a team that was second, tied for second in the Big Ten against the run, and they and and had done better against the run against uh, good teams like Wisconsin and, and and Iowa, and Michigan State bullied them up front. I thought that was a huge, huge development for the program. We'll see if they can can keep it going. You know, the defensive backfield, what you're getting from Angelo Gross and, 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 um, uh, and, uh, like, you know, Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, I mean, obviously the hit that hurt the, uh, the Northwestern player overshadowed that play by Shakir Brown, his second interception, but just an incredibly good football play. And so that, that whole development for this team against a team that, Look, Northwestern out recruit Michigan State most years. It's not like this is some, but Pat Fitzgerald talked about losing the one-on-one battles. I, that was just a huge deal for Michigan State to win those battles throughout and, and win that game and and have another win. It's just a big deal. And then to watch Michigan State basketball do something I don't think you and I have seen 
from them, maybe since the the best of the Keith Applin, Gary Harris year, and the way they took it. I don't think Notre Dame is great. They're not going to run into Notre Dame on the way to the Final Four, but but there was a season high major team, and it wasn't some – you don't have the crowd going wild where you hit a bunch of threes or any of that crap. This was systematically bullying a team, taking the life out of them with your defense and turning it into offense, and we haven't seen that in seven or eight years. So we'll see how it translates to Duke and – Virginia and things like that, but hugely impressive moment for Michigan. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, uh, the way they've been sharing the ball the first two games is not just at a high level. I mean, they've been sharing it at a high level for the last couple of years, but this is an elite level. I mean, this is, you know, you would have thought that losing two of the best passers in program history with Winston and Tillman, you know, respective to their positions, um, things might have changed the other direction, but. I mean, I think the additions that they've got with Joey Hauser and I mean, he, he's been able to move the ball. I think that Rocket Watts at times in transition looks like he's a guy to push it in the half court. I think Foster Lawyer looks like he keeps the ball flowing. I, it's it's an interesting approach and it's obviously let's just stick with football for now, because I think you brought up a couple of things. Uh, the, the push that the offensive line got up front. I thought was uh, significant, but not to me is significant as the vision and the pacing that Connor Hayward showed. Uh, I don't feel like we've seen him run like that. The only other game that I think of that, that was comparative was the the Maryland game two years ago where he had the big, long touchdown run up the middle um, and had some moments of, of flash in that game. But it's been very, very sporadic to see that. But he was running like a man. He was running through contact. Um, he was getting extra yards. I thought they interspersed Elijah Collins pretty well. Really only went with two running backs today, um, you know, which I thought – you know, that shortened load certainly seemed like it benefited both of them. And then what Rocky Lombardi did with his legs behind that offensive line uh, really was the difference in this game. I, I thought that, you know, there were a couple third downs in that fourth quarter that Lombardi picked up to keep drives alive on on either QB draws or straight scrambles that they don't win this game without that. And they don't win this game without his touchdown pass early in the game to Jalen Naylor. And um, for, a, for a week and a half, two weeks not knowing who the next starting quarterback would be, Rocky Lombardi kind of looked right back to where he was the first two weeks in some respects. So a couple of things. One, I, I do think Connor Haywood ran well. He ran hard. He hit the holes hard. But there were – like he actually, because the offensive line played well, he got a running start into some people. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? He was he was not getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. He had a, a – and, I, you know, I thought and, – and I agree with Lombardi on the runs. That late run, 10-yard run he had was – and he was he, at that point hobbled a little bit. He was tired. He was fatigued. And – but the thing about Lombardi that's going to be interesting is this is one of the things I got into in the quick takes is he has been sort of spectacular. I'm talking about his passing game here. Yeah. Spectacular or ghastly. And then in, he's got to kind of, he's got to find a way to be reliable. And so for him, I absolutely believe he has earned the right to keep playing and, 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 and try to improve on certain things and see whether he can be part of their future, right? Beyond this year. He has earned the right this year because a couple of things. One, he's a fit for what they can do best, like the, the long ball, the deep ball to go. I mean, that's what we haven't seen Peyton Thorne be able to do that yet. That is a strength of Rocky Lombardi. That, that, that pass to Jalen Naylor was one of the best throws I've seen in college football, just the on the dime, like, you know, and um, another one that actually was an incompletion that I thought was a tremendous throw that I think Jaden Reed got hung up down the left side. But if you watch where that ball landed, it landed maybe a, a half foot out of bounds, 
but it would have been in the perfect spot for a receiver that didn't get hung up on the defensive back to make a catch. I mean, there's some, there is something there with that that deep ball with him in the touch over the top. It's a big deal. It's just not a way to win championships or to win long term. Like he's got to get good at third and five. He's got to get good at the quick outs, which he's not very good at. He throws a, you know, he, there are a lot of things he doesn't do well enough to be a all conference caliber quarterback and doesn't look remotely close to it. And so he's going to have to, at some point, like what he's done is he fits this team and he's clearly a guy who fits their strengths. He's a guy who's sturdy. He, he, today, I think he got a little of that mobility back. He didn't look like very mobile against Indiana. I don't know what he, if he was laboring yeah. or not, but so he, for what they are right now, he fits them. And the question over the next few games will be, how do they feel about him going to the offseason? I think he'll have a serious challenge for Peyton Thorne. I think it's very likely they'll bring in somebody from the outside too. And for him to be their quarterback next year, he can't be what he is now. Like what he is now is is the the explosiveness is great, the deep ball is great, the the grittiness is great, the leadership's great. But you can't, you know, they don't sustain enough drives because I mean, he was what eleven for twenty seven today. I mean, yep. you know, and, and that's in one hundred and sixty seven yards and seventy five of them came on one pass. Right, and, and that's just I mean, who he is right now as a quarterback won't do as their goals change. He is a good for an upset quarterback. He is not good for consistency, um, and you know, and so I, you know, I, I think that's. But but again, good for him. First of all, a lot of people would have lost their confidence, would have lost their way, would have lost the job. He clearly won it the last two weeks. He came in, he he played pretty well. They beat a a ranked, a really good team that's going to be in the Big Ten championship game most likely. And um, I, I so y- you have to feel good for the kid. Yeah, and we talked about the upfront on the offensive side. On the defensive side, you mentioned the guys with with Shakur Brown and and Angelo Gross. I thought Gross played a fantastic game, but I don't think that secondary plays as well as it does without getting the pressure and penetration that they did in the line of scrimmage. Because I thought that it, particularly in that fourth quarter, once things looked like they were starting to slip away, you saw Jacob Slade, you saw uh, Naquan Jones, you saw both the ends with with both uh, uh, Drew Beasley and Jacob Panashuk pressuring and flushing uh, Peyton Ramsey out of the pocket, making him uncomfortable, not allowing them to make plays. And that defense has done what it's done all year in not allowing big plays. And, you know, there may have been some longer drives, um, but I thought there were some times where they really had to bow up, especially early in the game, uh, that gave the offense a chance to to make up for that first three and out or make up for uh, some of the mistakes that they've had uh, that, that were still there. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a perfect game. This, I mean, I don't think this was anywhere close to, to the level that they played against Michigan, but there was a lot more force and shock to them because of those two sides of the line of scrimmage. And one of the things that, that, you know, Mel Tucker talked about was the difference he was hearing in practice, right? He yeah. just, and, 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 and I, well, the reason this is a big deal for that coaching staff is you have to prove at some point you can develop guys, that guys improve throughout years and season to season. And I think everybody was giving Mel Tucker a bit of a pass in this group for the rest of this year and expecting to see it the beginning of next year a little bit. But this, if stuff happens within a season, that's, that's big too. Um, and, and so I, I, I think this is a, uh, well, I'm very curious. I, I don't know if the Ohio State's game is going to happen. Uh, Ohio State wants it to happen. There, they, there's conflicting information. I'll just, I'll, I mean, I, from what I'm understanding, they are not underneath the threshold. And so uh, no matter what they're saying. And so that, that is not, uh, the, the odds that that game happens, unless 
Yes, there's some shenanigans I think are very, very slim, which is fine for Michigan State. You don't need to get your confidence wrecked by Ohio State either. I, I think you get another buy. You go into the last two games of the season against a Penn State team that's got some talent, but is, is, is you can compete with probably. And then a last game of the season against somebody who's comparable to you on the other side. And I think that's a good way to, to, to end the year um, and, and, and feel feel okay about yourself and, and, you know, feel like this year was you got something out of it. Yeah, and that ninth game is going to be interesting because I don't know exactly how things are going to transpire. I feel like, um, you know, over the course of the next few weeks, things are going to unravel. Um, you know, both with more games getting canceled, but also, um, you know, you, you, you think, I, I know that, uh, our, our compadre out in Milwaukee, Jeff Petrikas reported that, that they're still trying to get that Minnesota Wisconsin game back on the docket. Um, so if you have two games against West opponents, well, you're going to have to have two games against or have a game against an East opponent, right? Um, you know, two East teams are going to have to play each other to, to balance that out. And, and you've already got Michigan State and Maryland that was wiped out. You've got Ohio State and Maryland that was wiped out. Um, you know, th- how this ends up, I don't know. I mean, you could play Ohio State and Wisconsin if if Ohio State has to cancel that game against Michigan State. Right. I, there's so many things that right now that, are, are up in the air. That's the move. Like if you're if you're if, if you don't want Minnesota, Wisconsin would be, would be a stupid for the Big Ten at this point. So to me, first of all, Michigan State did the Big Ten a favor today by winning this game because the, the, the tough scenario was the scenario with a 10-0 Big Ten champion Northwestern team. I don't think Northwestern is going to beat Indiana in the championship game, but that would be the, the, the bad scenario because then it's like, how do you take a, a Northwestern team that would have been beaten Indiana, Iowa, Wisconsin that's 10-0? They have to go to the playoffs. And is there room for for you know a six and zero you know Ohio State team or whatever they were you know what I mean like is there that would have been a tough situation because Northwestern would probably get bludgeoned in the playoff too at least depending on the matchup. The now it's like if Indiana and, and if one lost Indiana which lost Ohio State and a Northwestern team with a loss playing the Big Ten championship you can pat the winner on the head as Big Ten champs and then Ohio State goes out of the playoff and if you're going to play. When Ohio State plays Wisconsin, then you know that that's a good opponent that would give them another resume. That just that to me makes all the sense in the world for the Big Ten. I know that's a little off topic here, but that, yeah, but but it is. I mean, because th- there's a lot of things that that are still out there for Michigan State. I mean, obviously Penn State got their first win this this week uh, against Michigan, uh, so Michigan State doesn't go in there having to face a team that's that's over and playing like a caged animal. Um, and but they're also coming in with confidence right now to this Ohio State week. We're just gonna, I'm not gonna call it a game, it's, it's just Ohio State week. Whether or not they play, you know, Ryan Day said that they would have to know and get a practice in by Thursday and then do a walkthrough on Friday, which is the ultimate. Um, oh, I mean, in some ways, that's kind of a, a little bit of a, a backhanded compliment to Michigan State because it's like you think you can only play them in a game prep. And I, I don't know. And I don't know if you watched or listened to Pat Fitzgerald early in the week. You know, some of the things that he was saying about Miss Michigan State's team, it didn't seem like on Monday he had watched very much film. Uh, and, you know, by that point, you know, you start thinking, are, are you are you just going off their history or are you actually – watching what this team this year has done on tape. And today you saw, I thought you saw a a, a Northwestern team that was ill-prepared in in a lot of ways. So his two fourth down calls, now one, he got bailed out by a, uh, I mean, one of them was, uh, was fine. It just didn't work, but 
he had two decisions that I thought were miserable. And, and uh, yeah, the, the team obviously made a lot of mistakes. And that comes from, I think, reading your press clippings. And it, it, I'm not saying it doesn't get difficult. If you're Northwestern and there's a game canceled, like Wisconsin had it canceled, all of a sudden it's like, okay, you are a win away from a Big Ten champion. You just got to win one. I mean, our Big Ten West Division title, I'm, I'm sure it was not the greatest week of focus for those guys yeah. to watch. Um, Michigan State is. But for MSU football, this is a, um, uh, you know, I think this is a moment that says yeah, this is this is a right direction moment. Like, okay, that, that looked different. And this was a good team. And sometimes, like, as we start talking MSU basketball, we don't know what Notre Dame is yet. We know they're a seasoned high major team. But they're also you know, uh, probably a low ceiling team a little bit in the, in the yeah. ACC. And, and so, you know, but in Northwestern, I mean, I'm not saying Northwestern's a playoff team, but Northwestern, they're what they have been defensively against good teams, teams that are better than Michigan State, is really good against the run, really good defensively. And Michigan State won those battles. And that that is, a, 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 I think, a, a tremendous uh, – that has to feel good for those guys. I, yes. I mean, Smacked them in the mouth from the outset and smacked them in the mouth late. Um, yep. Very good. Very – important things that Mel Tucker has been trying for the past month to instill in his team and, and seeing some, some positive headway on the field and the results I think can't hurt. Let's do, let's shift to basketball a little bit um, because there's obviously a lot of ground to cover there. Michigan state goes to Duke on Tuesday. We will not be there because they're not letting anybody in. Um, it's interesting seeing how different places and different venues and different schools are handling this. We've obviously been at the first two games at Michigan State in the empty arena, mostly empty arena, um, kind of a surreal feel. Um, but I, I think game two um, on Saturday night, I think the players looked a lot more comfortable and, and almost – I mean, th their comfort level was pretty high against Eastern Michigan with how they shared the ball. But, you know, going against that 1-3-1, one, one, I thought they did a good job early, uh, particularly Joey Hauser and Aaron Henry, of of just basically taking Notre Dame out of that. And then they go on that big 26-0 run between the end of the first half and beginning of the second half where the defense was was gelling, the ball movement was was there. You saw them running in transition. In fact, it was Rocket Watts and Gabe Brown that really got that started with a couple buckets off an alley-oop and then another one in transition. But you saw a lot of the parts that, that make the whole of what this Michigan State team a very intriguing look for this year. Yeah, I, you know, it, it was interesting because we, we both, you know, have, our minds were on both games and you're, you're yeah. trying to settle in. And the Michigan State game looks like it's just sort of this, okay. They're, they're, and then all of a sudden, to see the way they took Notre Dame out of everything. I mean, Notre Dame got one iffy so-so look, and then you, you just saw the, the – the, it's the parts they have and, and the potential to fit so well. And, you know, it, it's the defense around the perimeter. It's Aaron Henry's aggression. It's, so it's where they are in terms of mindset. The maturity of Marcus Bingham is a guy who doesn't drift and, and, and really becomes a force inside – it's the number of guys who can get theirs and why that – and it, it all fits. Like a guy like Rocket Watts, he doesn't – you know, if Rock, if you took Rocket Watts on last year's roster, last year's Aaron Henry, last year's everybody, Marcus Bingham, last year without Joey Hauser, all this stuff, instead of Cassius Winston, you'd have some real questions because they that group needed Cassius to yeah. facilitate. This group has like four dudes who can get theirs. 
And they just need Rocket to push the ball, move the ball, and score the ball. And he can do those things. And, and you, you watch the way Joey Hauser takes the ball off the rim and his basketball acumen, a couple dribbles, get get the uh, get the break going quickly. He didn't they, let anybody uh, else have a board tonight. I mean, he was the way he was yeah. dominating the glass in that first half was – I mean, I, I don't remember – and I wish I would have asked Izzo this. I can't remember a guy in recent memory who had a rebounding game like that but not just the game itself, but also the way it was aggressive attacking and pushing off the defensive boards. I mean, think about how many things have to come together for this team. And, you know, I know people are excited about Amani Bates and all that stuff coming up. You may not have a Bates Christie team that's like this, because this is, you know, if you remember that great Kentucky team that the 2013 14 MSU team led off against, a lot of great freshmen, all that stuff, and, and, and beat them with veterans. This is a team that it, it took Joey Hauser having his waiver denied. Otherwise, he may have been in this NBA draft. Yeah. It took uh, Joshua Langford coming back for a fifth year. You know, it took Aaron Henry maturity mindset coming back. It took, you know, it took development. It took a lot of things going right. And they now have a squad that, that I think um, – now, we'll see against Duke. We'll see against Virginia. I think there are growing pains ahead. Not everything's going to look like that. But I have not seen – and I've seen it against bad teams – and I've seen it where the crowd goes nuts and somebody hits a bunch of threes and things go wrong and there's a big run. This was not like that. This was possession by possession by possession. And and it was stop, rebound, run it down your throat. Stop, rebound. I, I haven't seen that in, in, in probably seven years. And so that was six, seven years. And that's that to me stood out. Yeah, you talk about the maturity and development. I mean, there, I mean – Marcus Bingham stood out again uh, in different ways tonight. I think from his offensive standpoint, the ball sharing, I thought he was, he looked really good in the, in the first game against Eastern Michigan. Um, Gabe Brown, I think has, you've heard about Gabe Brown looking and seeking more consistency, but I've seen him attacking the glass on the, on the, the boards uh, better than he has uh, it, again, two game subset, but, but better than he has uh, for two years. And, and Aaron Henry seems to start getting a little bit more comfortable with with getting into – I mean, this is a bunch of juniors, even Foster Lawyer. I mean, you know, Lawyer's stat line uh, against Notre Dame won't turn heads like his first game did, but I thought he was capable, competent, and the offense moved with him in there. Um, like you, I, you said it perfectly. When you've got guys that can get theirs, the guy that facilitates it, doesn't have to worry about it. And you can have a your foster lawyer. You can have one of those twenty point games. You can have a, a six point game. But as long as you keep the ball moving, as long as you set guys up, as long as you aren't a defensive liability, which I think there will be times where he will be, just simply based on his height and 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 matchups and switchings. Um, you know, but he's he's proven to be a lot more capable and confident right now um, as the starter. And you know, we'll see where that position ends up, but. Um, there's a lot of parts here that, that are really coming together. I'm, I'm surprised how quick. Well, they're older parts, and that's yeah. why. And you think about what it takes to build a perfect team in college basketball. You want talent, but you want guys who are older. And and it's a, it's a, it's a mix you want. Like if Amani Bates and Max Christie show up next year and there aren't veterans in the program, it doesn't do you that much good. You remember the 2016-17 team with, you know, yeah. when – Langford and Winston and, and, and uh, Bridges and Ward showed up. They just weren't ready. Those guys were young. They didn't have enough veterans. This team has – so you got a transfer like Hauser is a big-time recruit. 
big time recruit who's who's a veteran dude. Langford was a McDonald's All American who is because of injury still around. The top thirty recruit in Rocket Watts is a sophomore. You're getting him in year two. Um, you know, Aaron Henry was the best of that junior class. And then you you had this class, that junior class, and you wrote about this junior class in, in, in the preview. And the junior class becomes really important because every once in a while it helps you to have a class that sticks around and does develop. And if you look at who those guys are right now and and, and their contributions and how they fit and guys knowing roles. I, you know, it, 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 you're right. It, it's come together. Even the little things. I mean, the guy like Thomas Kithier does the little things of sealing his man who's trying to go at him, trying to seal him on the baseline. Little things like that that come from the, the amount of times you play. And, yeah. and, you know, you've got obviously Bingham's long arms. I mean, we'll see where Sissoko ends up because I think we've seen raw talent, but I think raw is the key word there. Um, you know, how much he can play. I mean, if, if the bigs keep playing like they have been and if they keep moving the ball like they have been, because I think that's, like I said, when, when you lose Xavier Tillman, Tillman had a, just a different kind of IQ and passing ability. I mean, I remember in watching him in high school run the point at 6'8", and it may or may not have been against a, a West Michigan high school team, but you saw certain things that he was comfortable and capable of bringing a ball up. You're seeing that at this level by Joey Hauser. Um, you're seeing him run the break with the ball in his hands. Um, that changes a lot of the dynamics of this team. Yeah, I don't know about you, but there's – and I, this seems a little strange, maybe, but I see a little bit of Larry Bird in him. A little bit. And, you know, just the elevating guys around him, the the want to. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, the way that he rebounded tonight I thought was it – was, it was different. It was There was a different kind of feel because of him. His versatility, which allows you to play Malik Hall at the four next to him at the five or go with the bigger guys there with him at the four. And, and you know, the other thing that I think is important for this team, and anybody out there who's ever been in a pickup basketball game knows this. When you are the least athletic guy out there, but you've got a really good athletic team that shares it, your game, you, you, you feel elevated because you're protected by their abilities. So Foster Lawyer, uh, you know, and, and you know, um, Kithier, for example, Kithier is a really cerebral player, knows where to be, but he, he's protected in a lot of ways because the lineups he's out there with have so many other dudes that these guys got to deal with that they, 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 they can't pick on anybody. They can't try to take advantage really of a matchup. It doesn't, just doesn't work. And that's something that this, you know, that other teams haven't, haven't had. You think back when, when Nick Ward or when uh, Kenny Goins was trying to play center, right? You could pick on that all day. They didn't have the guys to come over and, and make sure that that didn't happen. And now Kithier is a bigger guy than going to us back then. I'm, I'm not, not a direct comparison, but I think that's important too. When you have guys who aren't necessarily matchup nightmares themselves, if you've got a guys around you who are, it, it makes everybody look better. Yeah, and obviously Tuesday night at Duke, um, it's going to be an interesting test for them uh, I, I, because we won't be back. I mean, we'll probably jump – back after that game and hopefully have a little bit of clarity. It'll kind of be like the Maryland week um, where we're just going to be left in limbo in some ways, but we'll come back to recap the the Duke game uh, in the podcast on Wednesday, more than likely, and and kind of go from there. But um, what, what does this Duke game right now for this team, this program mean? Because uh, usually these games aren't, 
you know, these are barometers, but this is this isn't a game one. This is now a game three for Michigan. Right? No, I, I, it is a barometer. Um, it's still a barometer because it's the best team they will have played. Uh, you know, they, they've had years where they've you know done really well in these early games. Other years they haven't, and it hasn't always correlated. Although something often sometimes has to. But I think it's it's a chance to see if what we're seeing is is real, and I, I think it is. I think what we saw today is real, but whether it's ready to be sustained, I guess how far along they truly are. We know this spurt ability is in them. We know they can overwhelm teams. What does it happen when they when they go against recruits of their ilk? When they go against other um, when they've got a when they've got to beat good teams? You know what, what does that look like? So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing. And then how a guy like again we we talked about Foster Lawyer holding his own. You know, is his is the competition level steps up for him, where he has matchup issues? Is he able to continue to be the player? Because they do need him. They, they they do need him. And I think Rocket Watts is you know using him in spurts at the point guard and off the ball and not overdoing that is is, is important. But um, yeah, it, it's just you know I'm taking this whole season and everything we've done is sort of it's kind of a blessing to get to watch these games. And what you hope is that it's, you know, that, that it's a, a season that finishes, that, it, that it's a measuring stick for something down the road. And that's, and, and I look, I think they're going to try real hard to get this NCAA t- tournament. And the one other thing, Chris, is, and, and Tom has, has always brought this up, the depth they have and understanding at some point in the year they might be without certain players. And I think they're, they're going to have it, they're going to be able to survive games that maybe other teams can't. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Not just depth, but versatile depth. I think that's that's another part of the key that that you see with this team. Where you mentioned it with Malik Hall. I mean, right now they could play Malik Hall three to five. That's that's a luxury to have a guy like that. You don't usually see guys in, in, that stick in the college game, maybe because he's a little undersized for it, but but can still handle his own. You got Watts who can play both guard spots. You've got Lawyer if you really wanted to, you could slide him over. Langford can play multiple positions. Henry. Um, you know, that's going to be pivotal in this year because of that. I mean, if you have a guy out, you're right now in these first couple games, getting these guys experience at a number of different spots. So, so they're ready. If, if Malik Hall one night has to play 28 minutes uh, at, at the three or at the, at the five, you know, he can, he, he knows he's already played a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, you know, that that's, it's going to be beneficial. Um, who knows how long it will last? Who knows when it will go? And who knows if we'll be talking about a football game this weekend? I mean, it's that's just that's that's 2020. I mean, who? No. All right. Well, it's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be. You know what? I mean, we'll just enjoy it while we have it, and hopefully, we have right. it for a few months. You know. <laughs> yep, I completely agree. Well, Graham, uh, thanks for joining. Uh, me and Graham, as we we recapped a long, long day with a long, long uh, video slash podcast. So you can find Graham's stuff at lsj.com and greenandwhite.com. My stuff's at freep.com. And we're all over the place with the Spartan Speak podcast and and these video recaps that we're trying to do now at the the end of of these Saturdays that seem to be going deeper and deeper into December. So uh, any final thoughts, Graham? No, I think it's a heck of a day if you're a Michigan State fan. Hockey team won a big overtime yeah. game at, uh, at Ohio State. So, I mean, if heck, and if you're a Michigan fan, you're probably a Lions fan. And, you know, so, <laughs> you know, if you're a Michigan State fan, you probably had a pretty good day overall. Um, yep. And it's, it's nice that, that the Lions get to go through the coaching search now, and it's not on us. 
that's that's always a plus all right for graham chris thanks for watching uh thanks for listening uh make sure you keep up with our stuff at freeb.com lsj.com and greenandwhite.com just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh human remains that are left Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.